You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. for episode six of the Needless Things podcast. That's right, six of these. I'm almost caught up with the months of the year. Uh, I kind of thought I'd be doing one a month, and I think, honestly, by the end of the year, I'll have 12 or more of these done uh, because I'm getting a little better at them. I'm getting a little more efficient with how I produce them, uh, and I, I like doing them live. But uh, before I get any further, I want to talk about today's. We did it live from Odin's Cosmic Bookshelf. Uh, I had Bobby Nash, Jay Hornsby, uh, also known as the Belligerent Monkey. And for the first time, and for every time hereafter, uh, my co-host, Mr. Bo Brown. Uh, I'm very excited that he's, he's kind of getting a regular gig here now. Uh, the guy's a good talker, and... We do well, so I'm I'm glad I'm going to have his support here. Uh, I hadn't even planned on recording an intro for this one, but I didn't have notes or anything for the live show, so I, I didn't mention uh, certain things that I like to mention, such as you can find the Needless Things podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher. Uh, you can check out my site, uh, with toys and music and movie and wrestling and every other kind of review and commentary and thoughts and just general dork stuff at needlessthingssite.com. You can find me on Facebook as L Phantasmus, that's with a PH, because uh, I couldn't use Phantom Troublemaker when I made my person page. I've got a Phantom Troublemaker page page, but it's it. I, I can't do anything on that. I, I can't have friends. I can't like stuff the way I want to like stuff. I can't tag stuff. It, it's kind of useless, honestly. Uh, and also, you have to pay now. And I'm already paying enough for this podcast and this site and now for picture hosting uh, for the site because as much as I love the fact that the site has gotten big and I'm using up a lot of bandwidth, it's costing me money now. So uh, if you want to chip anything in, uh, you can go to the Podbean page for Needless Things and uh, throw a few few dollars my way uh, via PayPal. And I'm working on getting the shirts up. I think I'm just going to stick them up on eBay. Uh, I, I don't really know a better way to sell the shirts or stickers or whatever. But anyway, we're here today to talk about DC Comics, uh, to talk about dorkery in general, and much to my surprise, to talk about gaming. Not a subject I ever necessarily thought would come up on the show, but Mr. Bo Brown is a gamer. Uh, I gamed a little bit back in the day, and I've always been kind of curious about how how real gamers do it, because I I never uh, dove all the way in. I was never a full-fledged guy. 
I just kind of fiddled around and then and then ducked out after a few weeks. So that was an interesting conversation to have. Uh, and I'm starting to put stuff together for Dragon Con. I'll have more on that on the next episode, which will be live from somewhere yet to be determined. Uh, might be Odin's. Uh, there are a couple other places that are possibilities as well. I, I've... I wanted to have Odin's as sort of a home base, but I don't know. There, there's some other options that have come up. But uh, lots and lots of exciting stuff coming up for me personally and for Needless Things in general uh, at Dragon Con. And I'll tell you all about it next time. For now, I want to go ahead and dive into our conversation because uh, we, we went a little bit long, but it's all good stuff and I think you'll enjoy listening to it. So let's do it. Oh, and by the way, here's the song that's been stuck in my head lately. I can't get enough of it. It's Icky by They Might Be Giants from their new album, Nanobots, which right now is the only contender for Album of the Year uh, on the Fanties End of the Year Awards. We'll see what else comes out between now and December. But uh, right now, Nanobots is the big winner. Here's Icky. Hope you like it. Everybody's saying, who's that icky guy? I'd like to get to know him. I want to be his best bud. No, I do. We can't both be his best bud. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the first live Needless Things podcast. I'm your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and we are here in beautiful Odin's Comics. Do we go by Odin's Comics or Odin's Cosmic Bookshelf? Is is Cosmic Bookshelf gone? I don't, I don't know. I, There's some I, I think confusion. that's still the technical name for it, but we typically just say Odin's Comics. And that's, uh, that's Counterboy Greg, who's uh, here watching us today, being a part of the fun. Uh, I'm also joined... By artist extraordinaire Jay Hornsby, belligerent monkey. That's me. Uh, and of course, co-host Mr. Bo Brown. Hi, how's it going? Very it's, excited. It's going great. My original plan had been to give you a Kermit the Frog style introduction, but I practiced my Kermit the Frog style introductions, and they're not very good. So mm-hmm. I decided I'd save that, uh, save everybody from that. And then also joined by the award-winning. Bobby Nash. Yes. Hold your applause, please. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the conscience of the ESO network is what I've decided I'm going to call you. And I think that works. Wow. Uh, we're here today uh, at Odin's. We're going to talk a little bit about how each of us came into uh, genre stuff, uh, various ranges of dorkery, whether it's science fiction, fantasy, comic books, whatever. Um, we're also going to talk about DC Comics and how they're doing right now in general, movies, uh, comic books, television shows, uh, and even toys a little bit, because obviously that's that's one of my big interests. So we got a few different things to discuss, but I want to start off uh, with letting you guys get to know each of the guys sitting with the table with me here a little bit and, and how we got started. I got started like a lot of people our age uh, with Star Wars. Very early on, uh, my parents took me to see the movies, uh, which is odd because I was a baby and they're not real big nerds. It was just that Star Wars was a thing that people did. So uh, that led into the toys. I got the toys and collected toys basically ever since then. Uh, comic books happened for me kind of later in the 80s, but 
you know, all it takes is the gateway. I guess Star Wars was my marijuana, uh, if you will. Uh, Jay, how did you get into to the nerd stuff? Uh, I think for me it was comics. I, from My parents always uh, had comics around, so I always... Uh, uh, always remember reading comics, and that's also how I started drawing. I was always trying to draw like the comics. So as, as long as I can remember, I was always reading comics and trying to draw the superheroes from the comics. And then from that, as well as Star Wars, uh, got into the you know toys and the other movies. But uh, it all goes back to comics for me. It's awesome that you've gotten to the point where you did because I, you know, when I got into the comics, I did the same thing. I, I wanted to draw like the comics. I wanted to draw all the things, all the characters that I saw. Uh, I, you know, did my best to attempt to ape the styles that I liked at the time. I went through a phase where everything I drew, I was trying to make it look like a Sam Keith drawing. Uh, but I, I never, you know, the frustration got the better of me. Uh, it's it's kind of awesome that you're still doing it because, I, you know, with me, it was to the point where, well, I just, I can't draw like that. Forget it. Way to give up on your dreams. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I, I found different dreams. That's true. That's, that's what you got to do. But uh, you, I, what what kept you going? Like, what what's fueled you to keep creating all these years? Um, I don't know. It, it's just always something I wanted to do, and I, you know, even if I'm not doing it for to sell, or I'm always doodling, and you know, even in college and school, so all my notebooks had stuff all in the margins. Right, right. Where it just you know, uh, just if it's something I have to do, whether you know, just what level I do it at. And now for a totally random, unrehearsed question, where did Belligerent Monkey come from? Well, it's a funny story. Uh, I guess about eight, nine years ago when we bought our house, it had a, uh, a tiki bar in the basement. So we fixed it up and got a real nice tiki bar. And so we decided to uh, come up with a name for the bar. And we uh, came up with Belligerent Monkey. Uh, and then uh, a few years later, when I did my very first festival, they asked for a business name. So I kind of stared at the blank for a little bit. Couldn't come up with anything new, so I figured I'd just reuse the belligerent monkey and uh, kind of ran with it ever since. That's fascinating. I can't believe I've never heard that story before. <laughs> well, <laughs> Mr. Bo Brown, you are, uh, uh, at, at this point anyway, you've worn many hats, but right now puppetry is your thing, but you've had kind of a... Uh, an interesting road to get to this point. Where, where do you? Where, what are your dork travels? Um, I I was similar to you in the sense that uh, Star Wars was was around when I was a wee thing and um, was sort of a gateway to sort of epicness, you know, um, and and seeing great seeing things beyond what I can experience in my normal life. Right, uh, and so that sort of led. To comics as well, and, and I read read a lot of comics back in the day, and started coming to not started coming to Odin's at a very young age, actually, and like collecting Marvel trading cards and and all that kind of good stuff. Um, and that's right, Mrs. Troublemaker was was right. selling a, a wee Bo Brown. That's right, cards and comics when I was just a wee thing. Uh, so it's it's always been pretty much ever present, and I had like. You know, the Mego figures and stuff when I was a kid and, yeah, and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I had the, you know, the Batman or the, the Superman pajamas with the little Velcro cape on and, and all that kind of stuff. Because my dad collected comics when, when he was uh, younger and so he was, you know, perfectly fine. All that stuff was, right, right. there was, it was, no, none of that stuff was taboo, yeah. in, you know, in our house and everything. So it was always supported. And then, you know, I got into, Playing D and D and and any you know heavy into escapism and seeking to experience things that you know aren't in everyday life, which I think is 
part of what drives me to puppetry too is that um, puppetry allows you to tell any kind of story you can possibly imagine. It's the ultimate storytelling, live storytelling tools. It, really only similar to animation, except you can't do animation live. Right. Um, so it's a way to have the the total freedom of you know taking human actors out of the equation and being able to tell whatever kind of crazy story you want with whatever kind of characters you want but also still with the live connection to the audience that you can get with live theater as opposed to animation where there's you know such a disconnect between uh watching it and and the creation process instant well, feedback too yeah you know. and, and well and you never see the creators i mean the animation right. you, you just they're 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 a non-factor right. all you see is the end product yep. you know you mentioned D&D I would like to delve into one of the secrets of Dungeons and Dragons since I have an actual gamer here. Okay. I had a brush with D and D. You flirted um, a little. I did. I, I experimented <laughs> uh, in in my high school years, um, and my experience with D and D was that you didn't go by the rules at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody started with a level one character. With a bow and some leather shoes. There's nothing worse than being a level one wizard. It is, it is the worst. <laughs> and 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 you builds character. We somehow <laughs> generate uh, these these ridiculously leveled up characters that are basically what we wanted rather than what you're supposed to start with. Oh sure. And uh, and and went from there. And it just it it never caught with me. And I think that was part of the reason is because we flubbed it so badly. What it's is uh. Is that kind of how it was was done, though? My introduction to D&D was at summer camp, and I used to go to a YMCA camp, and that's really sort of where I first encountered it, and I just loved the the sort of group storytelling dynamic of it. And and the, the, the rules and everything was, you know, sort of arbitrary to me to to more towards like the telling the cool story and right. and getting getting outside of your normal life. Um but then I, I found some gamers in my neighborhood when I when I back at home and started playing more regularly and, and my my parents were very supportive of it. You know, my mom would defend back back during oh D and D is evil and, and all that kind of stuff. She was like, Look, I know where my kid is. Your what mom, is your kid doing? Your like, mom was defending it from my mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was really cool that they were very supportive of that and they, they understood that it was basically like, you know, a creativity game. Um, and that it you know, had uh, it, there actually was positive. You know, it made it makes you smarter, and I know what a halberd is. You know, it, it's expanded my vocabulary, and I learned things that I would never would have learned. Is that on your resume? Yes, I, it is on my resume. Excellent a halberd wielder. I can dual wield a halberd and a and a flail. Nice. Um, I don't know if that exactly answered your question though, but uh, that, no, it did. It did. Yeah. Uh, and of course, award-winning Bobby Nash. Yeah. Tell us how your dorkery got you to this point. My dorkery began with a little cartoon that started out with a theme song about Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I'm not singing it. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll add that in. Uh, yes, my, the, that that was that was my first taste. You know, was you know after school you come home and Spider-Man's on TV. Yeah, and. In reruns. Let me go ahead and put that out. In reruns. Um, um, yes, it, you know, things like, yeah, the after school stuff with Spider-Man or, or the Super Friends. You know, that was kind of my, wow, super, superheroes are cool. Yeah. And then, you know, from there it led to, you know, I, I remember the comics used to come in the three packs and 
I would pester and beg and plead, and my mother bought me this three-pack of comics that I still have that had three issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, 192, 193, and 194. Oh, that's, yeah, I'd forgotten all about that. They'd be wrapped yes. up in the cellophane and on, like, a backboard, uh-huh. and you could get them at, you know, Toys yeah. R Us or Lionel Playworld or and wherever. You, you would know, too, of what you got, but you never knew what was in right, the middle. Right, right. And so it was always a nice, so, so it, was, it was very nice. I got the first three I owned were... Were those three, and uh, I I devoured them and was just fascinated. And then you know, like you guys, you know, Star Wars was in there, which was weird. My parents are not, were not, and still to this day are not movie going people. Right, right. My yeah. parents are quite content to wait until it's on cable or they can go rent it. They don't like going to the theater. Mm-hmm. They never have. And but I remember we saw, we made a day of it. Um, we went to where the 85 Regal is now. Yeah. That used to be a drive-in mm-hmm. in the 70s. And when I was a kid, uh, we did, during the day, they had the big, it was like a big, uh, flea market. You go and people set up booths inside the theater. Or kind of like the Starlight does now. Yeah. And so we went, I remember we went that day, we went and we looked through all the, the yard sale stuff and we went out to eat. We went back and they were doing a double feature. We saw the Jungle Book. And then after the Jungle Book, we saw Star Wars. Wow! And I was, I was, I was hooked. And to my knowledge, those are the first movies I ever saw. And I think and I saw Arthur on the, at the drive-in. That's like my drive-in. When you were a kid? Yeah, we were in. We were <laughs> wow! Oh my we God. were in like the back of the station wagon, and and I'm pretty sure that Arthur was the movie. That's yeah. my that's my drive-in memory. I, I only remember the only two I remember, or three I remember. I remember seeing Jungle Book and. Star Wars, and I remember seeing the Cannonball Run. At, oh at, wow! At the theater, because there, there used to be a drive-in also right next to where Spaghetti Junction is. Okay, uh, when you're coming off of 285 onto 85 North, and you come down the ramp, mm-hmm. right off to your right. That for all the locals, be, yeah. For all the yeah. locals, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, well, I gotta play to our audience too. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Well, we do have a live studio audience. Yes, yeah, so and I just quiet. like to remind everybody we're recording, so please turn off your cell phones, <laughs> all of you. Um, As the store phone the store ringing right there. This is actually pretty interesting, though. I, I you know, I, I saw a New Hope and Empire in the theater, but I don't remember them. I mean, I, I was one when I saw a New Hope and, and Empire. I don't, I don't remember <laughs> seeing in the theater. Uh, Jay, what? Do you, what's your first movie you like remember seeing? Like you actually have a memory of? One of them has got to be the Transformers movie. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, and that was a big one because they, they uh, cussed. I remember that was such a big deal. Yes, yeah. Well, um, Optimus Prime like kills like five people in like the first ten minutes. Yeah, like um, that, that was a big one. Uh, I think there were some before that. That that I can distinctly remember seeing. You know the the, the events around that. The, yeah, being excited for it. The I remember the friends I went with, and then you know the the, the, the surprise of uh, what happens in the movie. It was it was a really big deal for me. That was not to spoil the Transformers movie. Yeah, right. 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 I I remember. uh, I remember going to see that one. My mom took me to see it, and when it gets to which it's fairly early in the movie where they drop the uh, the S bomb, uh, as it were. And I remember thinking, I can't believe he just said that. Oh my gosh, we're, we're she's going to take me out of here. This is awful. I looked over at my mom; she was passed out. <laughs> uh, so I was very fortunate that uh, because I, I I don't know for sure that she would have uh, taken us out of there, but she wouldn't have been pleased. Right. But I, 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 think, I remember having the same thought, like nerve, like oh oh my god, are we supposed to be here? You know, right, right. This is, what is this? Is, what happened? Right. 
Um, so your Transformers childhood experience was saved because of mom's day drinking. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, that that little that little uh, mother's little helper <laughs> yeah. um, inspired that one. Now I think the first thing I consciously remember seeing was Jedi. I uh, went to see that with my dad, and we went to. I wish I could remember the theater because it was this crazy place that actually kind of looked like the bunker on Endor. Um, but it was uh, that was eighty three. So I, I, I'm pretty sure that's the first one I consciously remember sitting in the theater and watching. Now here we all are sitting down, uh, talking about what we do, our interests, and everything else. Uh, comic books are something that we all have in common, and you know while I generally think of myself as a Marvel comics guy, and when I say that I'm talking about X Men and Spider Man, uh, Avengers are not really my area of interest. The movies were really the first time I cared about them at all. Uh, but, you know, Batman is definitely my guy. And DC Comics, you know, obviously they gave us Batman. And some of my earliest comics were random DC things with Batman on the cover. Uh, obviously some actual Batman comics, but pretty much anything that they stuck Batman on the cover of, I'd buy, which is one of those clever marketing things that comic book companies do. Like gorillas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And DC Comics, uh, right now, are in an interesting place. Uh, Man of Steel, I think we've pretty much got to call it a success, no matter how you feel about the movie personally. uh, it, It certainly, I think, is the success that they were hoping for, probably, and more. Uh... I think there's a good chance they're going to build a new cinematic empire on it, which we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but the comics is where it all started. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how we feel about the comics and where they are right now. Uh, Bobby, you want to kick that one off? Okay. Well, um, the New 52, when it started, you know, we did a, an episode of, of the ESO podcast where we actually read all 52 of the number one issues. I... Um, because am, you're masochist. Yes. I am not reading 52 DC books a month. Uh, just throw that out there. Um, I read very few, but, you know, DC has a a few books that I'm following that are really good. Uh, probably more than they were before the New 52. Um, there are some cool characters, but there are some... For me, I, I tend to follow creators more than characters. But right now, there are a handful of books that are that are really doing it for me. Oddly enough, a lot of them seem to be written by Scott Snyder. But that's, uh, <laughs> you know, um, it, certainly his Batman title is is great. His um, Superman Unchained, I think he's the first writer, new new Fifty Two writer to get Superman. Oh, really? So you haven't picked that one up yet? Just it's solid. Just yeah. I mean, it's 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 the opening story. I mean, it's the it's the beginning of a story. Sure. But just in the way he writes Superman speaking and thinking in the you know the caption boxes is the closest to what I think of as Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and because some of the other stuff, you know, as much as I like Grant Morrison or George Perez or any of the other, you know, whether I like their work or not, to me, none of them have captured the feel of Superman. And so this, the new one with Snyder, at least in this first one, at least, I, I feel that he gets Superman. Now, whether where it goes from there, I don't know, but, um, yeah. That's interesting because I feel like Scott Snyder, uh, you know, I, I don't know anything about the guy personally, uh, but I feel that 
at the very least, he was going to intellectually understand Superman. Whether or not he's been reading the character for years and years and years, I feel like his his intelligence and his storytelling ability mm-hmm. would give us a good Superman. Uh, just I, I well, without without spoiling too much of the story, it's it starts out with a disaster in space that Superman is trying to prevent, mm-hmm. and and yes, he is. There is a lot of intellectualizing of, okay, if I break it, you know, there's several things falling out of the sky toward Earth, and, you know, he's thinking, okay, I need to get this over here so it falls in the ocean. I need to get this over, destroy this one, so little pieces. And so there's, there is a lot of that intellectual in there. But he's, he's also very conscious of how can I save the people. And I think that's been missing from a lot of the Superman is the fact that he cares. Right, right. Um, Definitely missing from the movie. Yes. And, <laughs> and it's, it's been missing from a lot of the comics, I feel, mm. too, where it's, and, and there's a lot of that going on in there where, and so, and there's a lot in there. Um, I think for me, the weakest part of, of the first issue of Unchained was the art. Yeah. The mm-hmm. art. I, I like Jim Lee's art usually, but it feels very rushed. I don't know how he's you know, a splash guy. Uh, I, I don't feel like Jim Lee is a storyteller. I, I feel like he's a splash guy. I, I, he, I, he does some very beautiful splash pages, mm-hmm. but they don't get a story across no. successfully, in my opinion. I, I thought uh, Unchained is off to a good start. I'm certainly going to stick around and see how the rest of them go, and and I'm sure that I know Lee. He is not, or, you know, I know his. His pattern. He is not going to stick with this book for a long, <laughs> right, a long right. haul. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think there's enough to start here to get a good handle on the character. And I, I could, to m- I, I think this would be the, could be the Superman book for a while. Very cool. And that, they need that. They need a strong central Superman book. Um, I gave up on Justice League, which, which was I think originally intended to be their flagship title mm-hmm. I did after well. the first arc. Uh, I, I thought it was one of the worst arcs I've ever read of a comic. It was. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I stuck with it a little longer than you just to see if it got better, and it. I, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 it I, finally did actually get it up, but it's there was some rough patches that. Um, Has it evened out though? Eh, right now they're getting it gearing up for the new kind of crossover. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Trinity so, War. Yeah, it was bad up until Throne of Atlantis story, the crossover with Aquaman, and then it finally got good because it was. Teaming up with a good book because Aquaman's been good, and uh, it stayed good after that. And then now we've got this Trinity War thing, so who knows how that's going to wind up? Good, but uh, it's yeah. interesting that, that it had that effect because I, I actually dropped. Uh, I, I was enjoying Justice League Dark, but I've I've had it with comic companies crossovers forcing me to buy books I don't want to buy. Yes, because uh, I've been doing it for you know. Almost thirty years. <laughs> oh, you're, you're you're suffering from event fatigue. I think that's yeah. what I am. It's, and and it's the like thing I, is, the events make me make me go. Oh. Well, and it just I, I don't mind events, but I really hate it. Like I like the way, say, Marvel did something like Inferno, where you had two titles that were telling the story. I can deal with that. I can buy one extra title that goes back and forth. That's no big deal. And then they had other titles that were involved in the story, but you didn't have to read the main story to understand those and you didn't have to read the the auxiliary titles to understand the main story. Like, that to me is how you do an event. Right. Yeah, Marvel's been really good and, at it with almost all their crossovers. Right, when, when, when Thor was involved in Inferno, you didn't have to read the X titles. You right. Just, you know, Thor was like, hey, there's bad crap happening and 
yeah, if you want to know more about it, read this. If you don't, you're good. Which, to me, is the smart way to do it, because that way you're not turning anybody off, but you might actually hook somebody in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, to tell me with this Trinity War that I'm going to have to start buying... One, the worst comic I've ever read in my life. <laughs> and two, a comic that I really had no interest in in the first place, which was Justice League of America. Um, just to keep reading my, my one comic, Justice League Dark, that I enjoy. I, at that point, I say, you know what? Justice League Dark is good, but I don't need to read it. Yeah, skip you know, it for two drop it for two or three months until mm-hmm. it picks back up. Right. And, and chances are, though, I'm going to drop it for good because I... I Something else will come out that that slot in my pool will get filled, and I will forget all about Justice League Dark. Uh, DC, their lineup right now, they've got All Star Western, which I think we all agree is is one of the best comics yes. on the shelf right now, yep. alone from DC. Uh, Snyder's Batman stuff. Yeah, I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of that as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray uh, have been making some amazing stories uh, about Jonah Hex, who's somebody that. You know, I know from DC's animated universe, and that's about it. I, I can't honestly say I'd read a Jonah Hex comic. Not, not to mention DC's other, you know, uh, Western themed characters who have not seen the light of day. Yeah. In quite some time, and making them all interesting. Yeah, the, the backup yeah, stories the backup have all been stories very good are too. Just as interesting as the main mm-hmm. story. Yeah, and and they're keeping them short and sweet. They're not, in the backup stories have all been right around four to six issues. Uh, Basically they're one issue broken up into chapters. Exactly. And, and they've been a lot of fun. Uh, they've, one of them has gone hand in hand with the Jonah Hex narrative. The rest of them have kind of been their own thing. But they've just been, they've done such a good job with that comic. It's amazing to me that the rest of them are are such uninteresting things. Because you've got uh, Snyder's Batman is good. Uh, I really like Kyle Higgins on Nightwing. I don't know if you yes, guys are Nightwing, Nightwing is great. Yeah, Nightwing's fantastic. Um, but I, I, the bulk of DC's stuff is not compelling to me. I started off reading a lot, and now I, they've all just either been canceled, as is the case with Frankenstein, uh, or they just, you know, they, they've... DC, when they started the New 52, seemed to have an idea that they were going to have a certain creative standard on the books. Uh, they were gonna, they're, they're gonna hit deadlines, which I think they've been hitting deadlines very well. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can fault them for that. They, they've been keeping if it together on few, that. It's been very few. Right. It's been few and far between. But, uh. I think that's at the expense of the art sometimes. That's where you see issues with like eight right. people working yes. on the art. And that's, that's where I've come to with something like Saga, where there'll be a three-month break with no issues of Saga. It might take a little bit longer than a month between issues, but you have the same high-quality art and storytelling in every single issue, and I think I've gotten to the point in my life where I'd rather be patient and wait for things to look good than absolutely hit a deadline, which I understand that's a big difference between the corporate entity that is Marvel or DC and the creator-owned stuff that Image does, but... It is thoroughly irritating to me when I'm sitting there reading a comic and eight pages in, all of a sudden there's an entirely different art style. Yes. And then eight pages after that, it changes mm-hmm. again. 
Mm-hmm. I think the ones that we're seeing that are the most successful, like you mentioned, uh, All Star Western, mm-hmm. uh, Moritat has, pr- has Holy very few. How? How is that guy cranking that right. stuff out? But when they do have to have someone, it's someone with a similar style. Same yeah, with, almost where you don't even notice that unless you looked at the cover right. that, you know, it was a different artist. Hey, yeah, I think there's only with, been a couple of fill in issues right. on that one, and you're right, it was somebody very similar to Moritat. S- same with Wonder Woman. You've had, it, yeah. they've mm-hmm. had, a couple of different artists, you know, doing different arts, but they got two artists with the similar style. Yes. And so, yeah, it's the same way. It's like, wait, which one drew this? And they're able to keep that consistent. Yeah, the Flash has been very consistent, too, with the yes. same artist. And that's why, for me, that's one of the top books uh, that I'm reading by DC. I'm going to read some Flash comics that I bought today. <laughs> right here. Been, right here. Odin's, Odin's Comics. Bookshelf <laughs> that have been stacking up in my box for... A year. <laughs> That's nice, though. You get a nice long run. You get, yeah. You got time to sit That's down true. and enjoy yeah. the full story. Have a sandwich. It's almost like right. buying him a trade instead. Yeah. 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 Except it costs more. <laughs> um, yes. Although I'm not thrilled. I'm, I'm sad to see that they're taking away all the rogues' gadgets and giving them powers because I don't care for that. I don't like Captain Cold having powers. No, thank you. I don't even like the the look of Captain no, Cold. No, now. no. They uh, what is okay? What's up with everybody not having sleeves? Captain Cold doesn't have sleeves. Mister Freeze doesn't have sleeves, which that doesn't make any sense at all. That's a weird one, yeah. Like, what, huh? Well, That's know, his whole thing is he has to have sleeves. It's it's not DC, but there was that short time there when all the Fantastic Four uniforms had short sleeves. Oh, and it just looks weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Mister Fantastic yeah. stretches his arm out and his arm goes with sleeves, that doesn't. It's, you don't want to see that much pink flesh. Yeah, that's no good. Stretchy, um, pinky. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, th- and that was another thing with the new Fifty Two is, is some of the redesigns were. Ugh. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think so uh, sums it up. That's kind of the funny point. There is that stuff would all look really cool on bed sheets or posters or lampshades or whatever they want to make. But the thing is, all that stuff is still using the old designs. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was there was a reason that the old Batman had just wore gray with the, either blue or black, depending on who was drawing it. You know, yeah. If you look at the when Jose Jose Garcia Lopez, mm-hmm. I think I left the Lewis out of there. Anyways, Garcia Lopez did a lot of their work that was used on the bedspreads and the right. the the stuff that was not comics. And he had a he had a, a an eye for that simple is better design, and they work. I mean, there's a reason that comic artists, you know, when they did, created Batman, he wasn't didn't have all those lines or chain mail or. You know, it's because I got to draw him like 900 times in this issue. And, you know, and I have to crank it out in a month. You know, (laughs) back then there was no, we can be a little late, you know, because it was a newsstand. There is no. Yeah, there weren't too many characters back then that that had those detailed costumes. You you had, you had Captain America with all of his scales. You had. Right, uh, but even, even in the old days when, when Jack Kirby to, to show off uh, the fact that Captain America wore chainmail, they did a couple W's. Yeah, it was all implied. They weren't actually detailed out, you know. Right. And now the interesting thing to think about, uh, I, I, you know, I don't have a sense of the public necessarily, but I feel like the new 52 is not the most popular thing in the world. Uh, obviously, we're stuck with it at least for you know three or four more years, probably, until mm-hmm. DC does another reboot. I think the question now is, when DC does reset again, are they going to go back to the old status quo that we know, or are they going to try something even further removed, uh, different, that has nothing to do with the New 52 or with the classic universe? Well, I would imagine they would just keep moving forward. They've always moved forward. 
you know, every time they do a reboot, it's always adding something different. You, you know what? That's an interesting They've argument that I've backwards. heard over and over again is that, well, DC always reboots. The New 52 is not like anything DC has done before. That's true. They have never before uh, just disregarded entirely their history. And while they make the claim that, oh, no, all those things still happened, they did not happen in five years. That's That... Yeah, I think is the is result the of them not really planning this out and them deciding we need an event. We're just not going to put a whole lot of time into thinking about how to do that event. Right. right. Do you think that sort of the point of the, the, the decisions to do the New 52 to help get younger readers more involved because I mean there is, there is sort of like, uh, you know, people have said, you know, Marvel comics are, lend themselves a little more towards younger kids and then the older older folks, you know, the 30s and up are more DC type people. Because um, you have more sort of kid themes with like Spider-Man and the X-Men and, and that kind of stuff. I buy most of the mainstream superhero books. Uh, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, um, Iron Man. I would not let my child read any of those books. Yeah. So like, you don't none think of it, those are none appropriate. Of, none of the, look at the Marvel shelf or They're the DC all shelf. teen. They, With very few exceptions, almost all of them is teen and up. Yeah. And, and I think that's a problem. There's a reason why we have like, actual kids' room right. in the store rather right. than it just yeah, being they, on the they, shelf. You have to put the kid-oriented comics in an entirely separate room yeah. because that is mm-hmm. that is the degree and of separation. they're never continuity. I, they're always right. something different. Right. It's right. always like Spider-Man's wacky adventures or Tiny Batman or, you know, I whatever. They, I think they've forgotten what all ages means. Okay. Yes. And, 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 and all ages, it's not easy, always easy to write. But if you look at, you know, the comics, some of the comics I grew up on, or you look at movies like, uh, you know, um, Shrek or Brave or any of those, the, part of what makes those work all ages is because as a, a kid watching it gets one thing. The adult mm-hmm. watching it gets another because they're written in that way. And yeah. I think the old, the all ages comics should be written that way. The Disney Pixar stuff is a prime example. Right. And we don't do that anymore. We write Batman for teenagers and up. Right. Okay. Then we give them a Brave and the Bold comic for kids. And, and I don't, I don't think you have to do that. I think you can tell stories in a way where the adults will get it and the kids will get it and it's, you don't have to beat them over the head with it. And I think that's why the kids lines very, most often don't succeed because they're going. They're not going. Let's just make a an all ages book. Let's make a kids book. Right. Let's make you know something. And then they tend to write it. Dumbing down is probably the wrong word, but they try to write it specifically for kids. And then the kids look at it and go, "This is stupid." And yeah. Well, and, and also and they, they're, you know, they're, so they're not getting the kids with those books mm-hmm. really with. Because they feel like they're being talked down to, and they're obviously not getting the older readers because they're not written for the older readers. And not all kids... See, and that's the blanket thing of doing a kid's line. Not all kids are developed the same. Like, there are stuff that your son would like that someone else's son might not be as mature for. Right. So, having just a blanket kid's line is, is tough because you're writing it for, you know, five year olds hoping that 11 year olds will like it. And even worse with the fact that they, okay, if you're going to have a kid's line, all right, um, but they don't even really go all the way with that. You know, it, it, it's like everything from DC is pretty much Batman. Uh, almost all their kids' books are, you know, Batman, 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 Batman. And you might occasionally get, you know, a Superman story or a Justice League story, but 
you know, what about the girl that wants to read Wonder Woman? Or, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, you see very little, there's not, right. you don't get all the characters. So if somebody's like, I really want to read, you know, a Flash story. Well, there's not a kid's Flash book. You know, and, and it's very similar to, like, the the way action figures are made. It's like, the, they, they think, okay, well, the kid just wants a Batman. So that's why we've got Night Vision Batman and Jungle Attack Batman and, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. The kid just wants, uh, wants Batman. It doesn't really matter what it is, as long as it's Batman. And I think that they think about the, the comics the same way. The mm-hmm. kid just wants a comic with Batman in it and on the cover, you know, so it doesn't really matter what it is, as long as it's got Batman in it. You know, the kid's not really excited about the wannabes or <laughs> although they should be yes they should be <laughs> my kids excited about the beast um well and unfortunately though the market has proven that that action figure theory right for decades now i mean that's you know if if thousands of different colored Batmans didn't sell, they wouldn't be making them. Yeah, right. Uh, Which is sad unfortunately, it's t- it just means we get less of of those bad guys and those various supporting Which characters. Stinks because when I was a kid, like the, the the toy lines that I was attracted to were the big ensemble yes. cast. The, I was into yeah. Yeah. I was into Masters of the Universe because I didn't want twenty seven He Man's. I wanted more cool guys, yeah. more cool bad guys. You know, yeah. just just. This, you know, and then this, and then and it pretty much went from Masters to Ninja Turtles, which was basically the same way. It had this huge roster of super different, interesting characters, and GI Joe and Transformers were the same. Yeah. Way. Well, and I think the issue though is that it's not the kids buying; it's the parents, it's the relatives, it's the aunts, uncles, it's mm-hmm. mom. You it's like Batman, don't you? Running there you go. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's where the market. Uh, is is incorrect as as far as who's receiving yeah. the toys, but the people that are buying the toys. Because when I was a kid, I wanted the same thing. I wanted, you know, I was happy with one Snake Eyes. Yeah, I had one Snake Eyes. He was great. That's all I needed. Yeah, he's but you already have him. He's not the imagination that he's recognizable yeah. character, so they they kept putting Snake Eyes out. Yeah. I was a big fan of like superpowers, and so I wanted all the as many different superheroes yeah. right. as I like, yeah. could. Right, but but, um, but then it became hard because they wouldn't put out. A Wonder Woman toy because well it's little boys buying it and they don't want to play yeah. with the little girl character yeah. but for those of us that were watching the show she's there she we want her to be part of not it. only do we want her yeah. we wanted her playing too yes yeah. um, and and actually that's pretty that's a, a great segue for uh, DC's toy empire I guess you'd say which is directly related to uh, Mattel uh, as well as DC's own in house company and something very interesting has happened over the last year. Uh, for the past several years now, I was not interested at all in DC Direct, which is now DC Collectibles, uh, due to their odd articulation, uh, the fragility of their products, and they, I just kind of got burned out on their artist-oriented style, which I really appreciated initially. Uh, the fact that I've got a Batman figure that looks like Tim Sale made it is awesome. Uh, but I just I got tired of their product, and I shifted over to Mattel's uh, DC Universe figures that are... A little more basic and standard, like their Batman could be any Batman. It doesn't represent any particular era. Now, granted, they, of course, have made several different Batmans in many colors, <laughs> but their standard Batman figure could be any old Batman. Uh, and, and their whole line goes along with that Batman or that Superman or whatever. They had a very uniform style. They were all being designed by the same people, uh, and they were creating pretty much everybody in the DC Universe, or at least were on track to. But now, uh, Mattel... Uh, I, I don't want to assume. I'll, I'll I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that the reason for their cheap construction and for their constant reuse of body parts is because it costs a lot to make a toy now. Yeah. Now, that doesn't really hold water when you put a $15 
Mattel figure with no accessories and a 90% shared sculpt next to an $18 NECA figure with a 100% new sculpt and, uh, what, 8, 10 accessories maybe? I don't really see where that works for, for Mattel's claim. But uh, Mattel and DC Collectibles are our, our source of DC toys right now. Uh, how do you guys, I mean, I, I know Bobby and Bo, you guys aren't, aren't as much into actually collecting the, the toys of the DC stuff anyway. I have my habit. Yeah? I have my master. Yeah, you've got your masters. Um, I'm more of a, you know what, that's an awesome figure. That would look cool on my desk for a little while. Right, right. As opposed to being a collector. Yeah, I think I'm with you, more of a collector, and I've had this subscription the last two years. I'm sure I'll get it again for the next, the third year. Will you? Because I'm not sold. I don't know. I'm I'm a sucker. They've got me. (laughs) You know, I've, I've already got... Everything else, you right. know, you know, it would be uh, momentum is all that's keeping you going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they 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 pretty much dropped out. There's nothing at retail uh, from Mattel anymore. Uh, with the uh, odd wave here and there, like the Batman, two or three figures, or right. uh, Superman, couple figures. So I, they've probably got me again for one more year. I mean, is it pretty much all that there is in the stores now? Is just movie tie-in. Yeah, stuff and Ninja Turtles. Well, they they've got the Mattel's putting out their comic. They've got the DC Universe, or no, what, uh, it's still the, what the heck is it called? DC Comics Unlimited. Yeah. And then the sub-branches of Batman Unlimited, and there was supposed to be a Superman Unlimited, I don't know what happened to that, yeah. but those things are so hard to find. And it, yeah, so there's some places that don't even have a spot for them. There's right. not right. even a, a hole. Yeah. Um, and the other ones is, you know, it's a figure or two at the time, and it's a, it's a new 52 Batman, or a new 52 Superman, or a new 52, Stuff which I'm completely passing on because I'm not a big fan of them. So yeah, going into the the animated stuff uh, with DC, obviously it, it's it's nothing nothing short of a tragedy that Young Justice and Green Lantern were canceled, uh, and it's confirmed now. When I first heard this, I wanted to try and give Mattel a little bit of credit. Uh, because Mattel gets attacked a lot for their practices with their toy lines. And when Young Justice and Green Lantern were canceled, one of the very first things I started hearing online was, well, it's Mattel's fault for making an overpriced toy line and not making a toy line in the case of Green Lantern. And I thought, well, you know, that's maybe a little much. Let's, let's give Mattel a break for a second. But it turns out, after hearing from the actual creators behind those cartoons, that's exactly what happened. Mattel could not create a toy line, and without a toy line, uh, you can't run a cartoon, I guess, on Cartoon Network, because obviously yeah. there are plenty of to- plenty of cartoons that don't have supporting toy lines, but I guess for either the scope or the network, you can't have a cartoon without a toy line, and Mattel blew it, and are the reason, directly the reason, that Young Justice and Green Lantern are over. Well, well didn't the, they didn't they do a, like a, a sub for like a sub sign up thing for Young Justice and it didn't not enough people signed up for it. Well, so the last get- well, no. What happened? The Young Justice toy line they did they essentially launched two separate toy lines for Young Justice. One in the style of their Justice League Unlimited uh, four inch scale figures with five points of articulation, and one in the style of their DC Universe Classics, which were the six inch scale figures with multiple points of articulation. They also came with a lot of uh, really nice bases and yes. accessories, so they were uh, a lot more expensive. Very expensive, and, the, and that's the thing, is, is as excellent as that cartoon was, 
it's a cartoon has to appeal to kids. You have to. You cannot live off of collectors. And the six inch Young Justice figures were twenty dollars to twenty five dollars a piece over the course of their release, and the four inch figures were ten dollars a piece. Wow, that's that's crazy talk. You can't do that with with a cartoon based toy line. Plus, with the, with Young Justice too, the 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 costumes on Young Justice these were not super splashy costumes. You know, yeah. Superboy was a guy wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Right. You know, um, you know there, there there weren't a lot of those big, great costumes that that translate to toys like a Batman. Right. Or you know, in the in you know some of the, like some of my favorites were like the Clayface figure. That's just a cool looking figure from mm-hmm. the animated series. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so that's worth buying because it looks great. But they, I mean, they did they did have a, a great range of looks though because they had. Uh, Kid Flash. They had Miss Martian. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had Robin. That, new I mean, Aqualad. Yeah, yeah New yeah, Aqualad. Aqualad. Very, Very dynamic, interesting-looking interesting yeah. character. Yeah. And uh, there's a beef to pick with the New Fifty Two as well. Is they had just introduced that character when the Young Justice cartoon mm-hmm. came out, right? And they introduced. They went through all this effort right before the reboot to introduce this character during Brightest Day. And then, then they do the reboot, and the character doesn't exist anymore. Well, and that's that's another aspect of the fact that they wanted an event, but they didn't spend two seconds thinking about how to do the event. Right. Um, also, as a personally as a Flash fan, I feel like the Flash is to blame for the New Fifty Two. That- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a movie coming out. Oh, that's yeah, all about. Yeah, it. They're doing a Flashpoint animated. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big Flash fan too. I think uh, that whole uh, his whole character and surrounding characters were ones that were hurt the most mm-hmm. because one of the best things about the Flash was the fact the that cast. had Wally West. Yeah, and had the fact that the fact the fact that the fact that Wally doesn't exist anymore is such a crime because he's Nightwing. You know, he 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 did this. He did his time as the kid hero. He earned it. And and I've always always believed that Barry is boring and that he is way more interesting as a symbol than he is as a character. And so Wally was just so much more interesting having grown up in the footsteps. And and that's not a story you can tell with Batman. They've tried, but it always comes back to Bruce being Batman. You know, it's always, Clark's always going to be Superman. But you had this this great chance to have this lineage and to, to tell the story of what it's like to actually fill these shoes that you grew up your entire life being the sidekick. And now Wally's earned his place as the Flash, and then just throw it all away. Well, and that's it's what's awful. so insane about it is because one of the things that superhero comics should be trying very hard to do is create legacy characters. Yep. And that's, what and that's the only really, time it's worked. Really good but, job for beforehand. Mm-hmm. You had the Justice Society, which led into the Justice League. Mm-hmm. You had the you had Wally. You had mm-hmm. Kyle. Uh, you know, there for a while yeah, it seemed like they were trying to make everybody a legacy character, and you know. Right. Bump off the old guy, bring in the new. You had Connor come in for uh, Green Arrow, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and so that's that's something I liked about it. I really liked the Justice Society with the New Fifty Two again. All the a lot of that was out. Jeff Johns' fault. He hated the nineties. Like yeah, everything they, that came out of the nineties, he hated. Like which is yeah. crazy because he he did so much good work on the Flash back then. Like all Rogue War and stuff, all that stuff is great. Right. And for him to have done all like, that work with Kyle, Wally, let's bring Hal back. Forget Wally, let's oh, bring Barry nice. back. Boners but, for the know, Silver Age. Forget, just, forget Connor. He yeah. doesn't even exist anymore. More, let's bring Ollie back. Well, and, you know, and, and Dan DiDio is on record as saying he, you know, they wanted to get rid of Nightwing. Nightwing, they were like, we don't need it. We've got Batman. We don't need Nightwing. Yeah, he almost yeah. died in and, a crisis. Yeah, but so, uh, rewrote at the last minute. Yeah, they want uh, live, and so they wanted to get rid of him. They've done away with. Uh, we don't have a Donna Troy, so Wonder Woman yeah. sidekick. Yeah. You know, 
you know, she doesn't. Stephanie Brown is still up in the air. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of people that care about those characters. Yeah. You know? I mean, Wally is my flash. It's, you know, and that's one of the things that you have to be careful of as a creator is, you know, I, and it, it bugs me because I do see creators will come up, will get online or in interviews, they'll go, well, you know, there just aren't any good stories left for character X, you know, and then, well, that's not necessarily true just because you don't have a story right, right. doesn't mean that there's not a story. Yeah. And I hear this a lot when they go and they kill off characters because mm-hmm. eh, nobody cares about, you know, um, I remember the, I forget who said it, but there was a, some, some creator made a comment about, you know, ca- not all characters were good. And, you know, like look at, it was a Marvel thing. It's like, look at the white tiger. Who cares about the white tiger? And and someone on the you know on the panel says I don't know why don't you go ask George Perez you know he created him he might care uh-huh. <laughs> you know and so just because you if and as a creator myself I try to look at it that way if if I go you know what I can't think of a good story to tell for Superman that doesn't mean Superman's a bad character that mean means you should kill him I'm right. not the writer for Superman right, right. you've and, told your story or whatever and, and unfortunately there's a lot of creators. That don't that don't look at it that way. It's like, you know what? I think I think I think Superman is suck. So let's let me recreate Superman the way I think he should be. Doesn't matter that it's out of character. Mm. You know, this is how I think Superman should be. Yeah. And Superman's- and then, but if if every creator that comes on does that, then you have characters that nobody recognizes anymore. Mm-hmm. Superman's a good example of that though because I mean as far as the superheroes go he's been around the longest. So mm-hmm. if any character were to have run out of stories by now, you would think it would be Superman. But, you know, at least once once or twice a year we'll get, you know, a graphic novel or, you know, a six-issue run in a, in one of the regular comics or something that actually has a good good Superman story in it. We've got, you know, Straczynski's Earth 1 stuff. We've got All-Star Superman that Grant Morrison did a few years ago. I mean, you know, there's still new stories that are being told with Superman that are good. And so, you know, if a character like that still has stories that can be found, they all do. Which brings up an interesting interesting point. Uh, there's so much focus on ongoing series, despite the fact that they reboot them so often. Uh, do you think we'll get to a point where the bulk of comics are miniseries? There are characters, I think, that are, that, that do not need to sustain a monthly book. Um, that are hard to write. I mean, like, yes. like we were talking about earlier, like Doctor Strange is a really hard character to, to write a consistent, you know, he suffers from sort of like Superman in the sense that in Martian Manhunter, you know, Martian Manhunter holding down his own comic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, yeah. well, he just uses his powers and fixes everything. Yeah. You know, like, it's hard to challenge Doctor Strange. You know, so I think that he is a character who is best suited for a little cool miniseries, right. like beginning, middle, end, boom. Here's this really great yeah, contained right. Doctor Strange yeah. story. Well, on the rare occasion, somebody comes right. up with a new story, yeah. well, and then here you go. And then you have times where, like, like one of one of my favorite series of the past few years is is right before the, it was before the reboot, but DC's Power Girl with Palmiotti and Gray and yeah. um, Amanda Connor. Yeah, it was great. Awesome series. They let they did twelve issues. They left to go do other things. The book downhill. To eventually canceled, mm. I think the the thinking there was oh it's just it's the it's the character and a lot of times it's not the character it's these creators have a story to mm-hmm. tell okay I think 
that's one of those things where instead of that, that character, that book going away, I would have rather have had those, that creative team do six issues a year. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, it's kind of like a help, they do Hellboy, where, you know, they'll do three or four issues and then there'll you know, be a break and then yeah. do a new yeah. miniseries. And, yeah, and I, I think that's definitely the way to do it with certain characters, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's, you know, yeah, not every character, not every character needs to have 12 issues a year. You know, every year of the or, you know, just not necessary. Yeah, especially you know. if there's not, you know, going back to the toy line part of it, you know, with the fact that the comics, a lot of times, especially with Marvel and DC, you know, that toy line's always in the background. You know, the merchandising aspect, you know, is this going to sell bed sheets? Is this going to sell mm-hmm. action figures? Is this going to sell cups, you know, lunch boxes, whatever? And unless you're a character that that's a driving force for why you even have a comic, yeah, you really probably mm-hmm. don't need a monthly well, series. That's, well, that's your your big guys. You know, that's that's they're always going to be there. Right. Your Superman, your Batman, your Wonder Woman's who are going to have multiples monthly, yeah. you know, series. Yeah. But, but for everybody else, but the Phantom Stranger, you know, he's a yeah. guy that it's going to come in, and and they have to publish ever so often to keep their copyrights yeah. and their trademarks, and you know, there's I understand there's that business, but you find ways to do that, you know, just because. You know, somebody comes in and says, you know what, I got this great idea for a Zatanna story. They tell their six issue story, it's fantastic. That writer goes, well, I'm done, and they leave. Yeah, Zatanna's a hard, she's like Doctor Strange, and she's a hard character to mm-hmm. hold down her own series. Exactly. She says things backwards and they happen, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, and, um, yeah, but instead of just trying to not go, okay, well, that guy sold, it sold well for six months, we've got to make it an ongoing series. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that's, that's not the smart thinking. You mentioned maintaining, uh, the trademark of the copyright or whatever. I read something, that struck me as complete lunacy the other day about Superman becoming public domain sometime in the next five years or something never like that. Happened. No, that's never going to happen. And it was funny because the the article was written from a very sincere point of view that it was going to happen had, and that it would be the best thing that could right. happen for the character. Had those laws not changed... And you can thank Disney for this. Yeah, because, Disney's all Disney. All Disney. Because, you know, Mickey Mouse would would be public domain right. by yes. now. Um, those changes in the laws, yeah, which is weird. You know, the irony of Disney not wanting, uh, yeah. because of how many things Disney has done with public domain characters. Yeah, um, yeah uh, Superman would have, it would have been interesting. But, you know, the way the corporate law works, the, and I don't claim to understand all of it but well I can they, explain it basically you can buy laws you see um, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much well when, you, when you've got Warner Brothers or Disney money you mm-hmm. can buy laws yes. when you've got Bobby Nash money no. you can buy a happy meal uh, <laughs> maybe now, what do you what do you guys think about that what Jay, what do you think of, of if just any any old person could could make a Superman movie or write a Superman story is that good or bad um I don't, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting because I think you'd get a uh, wide range of quality because mm-hmm. I think you'd have someone, you know, from the worst to the best all trying to do something. So it'd be, Look yeah. at the stuff that already is public domain and you, you get that range of, you know, well, this is Dracula 2000. Right. And you get, uh, I can't think of a good Dracula movie <laughs> that's happened after 1982. <laughs> well, there's... You know, as a guy who's worked in the public domain, I mean, I worked on Domino Lady or Secret Agent X, and they are just old pulp characters. Right. But now, the difference is, those characters disappeared for decades, and nobody knew who they were. Right, right. Um, yeah, there was no company trying and to And there was no sudden... Right. 
there's not all of a sudden Warner Brother or DC is doing Superman and then now there's 50 different companies have the option. Right. But so so you know you writing in the public domain can be fun. You can you know but and and in a lot of t- cases people do they're respectful of what had come before. Yes. And they're, they're writing the character because well, there's a love for it. Not sorry to interrupt, but uh, like Daredevil, the blue and red one. I think mm-hmm. what that yeah, means. Dynamite's been doing a whole bunch domain. of those. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think two different companies were yeah. publishing. Uh, Mm-hmm. Stories with the same character, and, and on different takes. Right, right, and right now I know Eric Larson's been using him a lot in right. Savage Dragon mm-hmm. because he is definitely a public domain uh, character. So yeah, and those characters can show up. You know, uh, Moonstone and Dynamite are two examples of most of their catalog is built on public domain character. So another interesting point with the Superman on uh, if he were to go public domain is like what about the side characters and other things that have See, been created over the decades. Right. Like, you that's know, the trick. All right, so Superman's public domain in this such and such a year, mm-hmm. but when would Lex Luthor be? When would Brainiac be? When would Metallo be? Right. Like when if, would Lois Lane be? Right. Would, if, Superman, if Superman went into public domain, what that would mean was the Superman that was in Action Comics number one. Right. Yeah. Leaping tall buildings with a single bound. Not he didn't yeah, that's fly. A good point. There was no yeah. kryptonite, you know. Uh, he his, threw people his, off buildings. Yes, his, <laughs> he, his 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 name was Cal L, but it was spelt different than it's spelt now. Mm. Uh, there was no Krypton. You know, we didn't even know he was an alien in there. Uh, so there's yeah, it's it's you get what that 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 was. base yeah. you beginning, get. and that that's also and, arguments or not arguments, but points that were brought up during this whole the lawsuits and everything uh, with the uh, the shooters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, okay, if they won the lawsuit, what would they get? They would get that right. base core Superman. They wouldn't have all mm-hmm. of the other stuff that DC's created since then. Right. Because, right. Right. yeah, like, because it wasn't the Daily Planet then. There was no Lois and Jimmy then. I don't even think there were the Kents then. We had not met any of them. I mean, he was basically just a, a strong man that could jump yeah. Over buildings, and he was quick, and he was invulnerable, and yeah, he would throw villains off buildings, and you know, or he would turn them over their knee and spank them if they needed it. <laughs> um, you know, he was, you know, that's that's the character, and, when, and that's how public domain works. If it's the character, it's that core character. Right. If it's there are instances where a character doesn't go into public domain, but say like Superman does not, but say Action Comics does, that means that. Anybody could reprint Action Comics number right, one. Right. It's kind of like the John Carter thing. The, the first three John Carter novels mm-hmm. are public domain. The characters are not. The the boroughs still own the characters. So I could not if I if I could not create a company and just start writing new John Carter stuff. But I could create a company, republish those first three John Carter novels, or do no adaptations problem. like Dynamite, or do an adaptation of the, the the three that are public domain. Well, and speaking of, of uh, I guess, new iterations of characters, uh, Man of Steel, because we, we haven't totally discussed the movies yet, is supposedly DC's, uh, or I guess Warner Brothers' new jumping off point yeah. for big, DC big comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big distinction. Um, where 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 do they go? Do you think it's a good idea? For them to ape what Marvel did and build up to a Justice League movie, are we better off if they just keep the heroes self-contained and just make good movies and not try and worry about the build-up? I have zero faith in Warner Brothers. I like absolutely like zero faith in Warner Brothers making 
good decisions about what to do with the the DC Comics property that they own. I, I really think that they have no idea how to make these movies. And all they can do is go, oh, well, Batman worked, so we'll make a, a, a Superman movie that's dark and gritty like 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 Batman did or you know or the all all the people at Warner Brothers can think about is like how do we how do we take something that we already know works they're not going to try anything new right. Right. they're so terrified of not making money you know and not being some big gigantic crazy blockbuster that, that they can say okay well this was successful so it has to be like this right. i just don't believe that they i think whatever they do it's going to definitely be dark mm-hmm. a lot darker yeah. than anything marvel's doing because you know the batman was darker yeah. the superman was darker so that all yeah. worked mm-hmm. so let's you know you're going to get characters that shouldn't be dark and the, yeah, suddenly right. tragic and you know and they're doing one superman movie and they're ready to go from man of steel to justice league yeah and Marvel, no idea what you know, they're they're looking at what Marvel's end game was. Marvel did Iron Man. They said, "Oh, that's successful. Okay, let's start planning for Avengers." So we do in you know Iron Man two. And I, mean, I don't think they're going to do the slow play like Marvel. Yeah, did. No, they're they, going. They've already shown that the team movie was real, you know super successful. So you know, so they think it just will be. Yeah. They, they, they don't wanna, understand no. what went into it. Absolutely right. not. They want to compete with the Avengers two. That's right. what they right. want to do. That's that's what. And I think that's insane, crazy talk. And I would, I don't, I don't dislike the idea of a Justice League movie. I mm. want it to be good, but I want it to happen because it happens because it's a good idea and we've got all the pieces in place. Not right. the way Warner I, Brothers I, is going to yeah. do it. I don't want it to happen. Well, even some DC suit, itself doesn't work right. that way. I don't want it to happen because some suit in an office who doesn't have a creative bone in his body says, Justice League. You know, we I, own these characters. Let's do just, that. Just let, take the people who've been making these amazing DC animated movies for yeah. decades yeah. and have them make the movies. Yeah. Like, I just don't how, understand how the DC animated stuff is so yeah. good. Yeah. And yet that Warner Brothers just seems like they, they seem like it's like the, the DC animated sort of exists in its own little universe that Warner Brothers doesn't even think about, mm-hmm. you know, and then, but suddenly as soon as they, you know, try to do it to live action, they don't even think about how why, why those DC animated movies are successful and good and well done. You know, get mm-hmm. get Paul Dini and get you know get those guys who've been doing it and they know what they're doing and people who are familiar with the comics to 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 do it. But they just don't think about it like that. They're like, oh, we'll need a big name director and we need some big name stars mm-hmm. and and we'll have twelve different writers and it'll go through sixteen different drafts because it doesn't matter what it is because people are gonna know. watch it because it's Batman, right? right. And they just don't. They don't. They. Don't, I don't. I have zero faith. Mm-hmm. Zero. It's. Faith. It's funny. I, I put it. I know there was that joke commercial that was out years ago, where all these people are around the boardroom and they're talking about the. It was like some goo thing, goo monster, and they're talking about the, how cool the toys were, and they've got the posters. They're showing the books, and they're showing the the image on cups and plates, and and at the very end of it, they're going, "Yes, these are shipping. These are ready to go. This is done." And and, and you get to the very end, the guy goes, "Movie script." We're working on it. And this was all, they're talking about all the merchandising <laughs> right. for the movie. Yeah, yeah. That they haven't even written the uh, script. Yeah. That's exactly. how it works too. I mean, that, that's absolutely it. Um, interesting kind of side note on Man of Steel. Michael Rosenbaum has started a, a sort of campaign to play Lex Luthor, which I think we all know isn't going to happen. No. Which is too But how, no, check this out. How awesome would it be to see Michael Rosenbaum as Wally West in a Flash movie? I would love to see that. I would, I that would be that. awesome. I mean, because, you know, he voiced Flash yeah. on Justice League mm-hmm. and was Great. essentially the main character of the show. 
he was the guy. He was the heart of the show. He yeah. was very often what the events were happening around. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would love to see. That. I thought you know we're gonna. I'm gonna get off on the geeky right here, but you know with uh, there's there's that one episode where the Flash and just Wally, now, yeah, no, <laughs> the Flash and Wally switch, switch brain. Oh, and I thought it was funny that I thought it was funny, right? Yeah, that, so that Michael Rosenbaum, who has was yeah. both Flash and Lex Luthor, yeah. and the you know. I have no idea. I have no idea who this is. Yeah. I'm going to find out who you are. That's, that's one of my favorite line, favorite scenes from from really any media ever. And just, I mean, I I love the Flash's powers. I love watching the Flash use his powers, and and so watching Lex Luthor play and, and yeah. figure it out was just delicious. Mm, so good. Um. So, uh, really. I, I guess none of us have a whole lot of hope for future DC Comics live action movies. Uh, yeah. what, now, what did you guys think? I haven't had a chance to. Uh, Jay, you and I talked about Man of Steel a little bit. Uh, I, th- I think we both enjoyed it to, to slightly different degrees. Right. And I think I probably had the same uh, reservations about it that most people did. I, I enjoyed the movie, but then, you know, when it got toward the end, when they were in Smallville, um, just destroying the town. Yeah. Um, it was uh, serious disaster porn. Yeah, exactly. Disaster yeah. porn. You thought he would, you know, he spent the whole movie trying to establish the fact of how much he cared about people, that he'd be willing to risk everything to save one person. And then he and doesn't then save anybody end, except Lois. Yeah, it gets, you know, everything's gone. But I think you made the point or something you read that, you know, he, he, he is new to this. He's still trying to figure out his powers. He's trying to do what he can. But And, and the fight against uh, Feora and the big guy, who I don't think is even named no. uh, in the movie... I looked at that as he was trying to survive. He he mm-hmm. literally did not have a second to think. Oh, I need to save uh, that diner. I, I, you're right. I, I, he didn't have any time. He was surviving. He'd never fought at all, really. Uh, and then the final one, I, I kind of understand that. Like, wow, could you possibly get him away from Metropolis? Maybe, but uh, you know, there, there's. It's one of those things where the rest of the movie was so much fun to watch, uh, or at least the parts that didn't have Kevin Costner in them, that I, I just, I, I dug it. I, I really, I, I thought it was a very cool, interesting take on Superman. Uh, it didn't offend me uh, in the way that Nolan's Batman movies did by creating a universe that, that, Nolan's Batman movies, and I've said this on every podcast I've ever been on, uh, they're ninja movies. And, you, yeah, sure, they, they made a Batman. But the problem is nothing else that exists in the Batman universe can exist in those movies. Yeah. Uh, Superman, on the other hand, that, that's you will believe a man can fly, you will believe a brainiac could come and attack, which, as a matter of fact, a lot of the Kryptonian technology... Like, just looking at that, all I could sit there was drool and think about, like, what Brainiac could look like in mm-hmm. this world. Um, Lex Luthor obviously can exist. Uh, Bizarro could have, like, this one was so much more open and less restricted. And yes, it was a little grimmer than, I think, Superman. Well, here's the thing. Henry Cavill was not grim. I, watching sure, yeah. that movie, got nothing but Hope and kindness yeah. off of him. I feel like he projected. Now, visually, uh, I, I wouldn't have picked him as Superman. Yeah. But character-wise and, and the way that he portrayed Clark Kent and Kal-El, I thought he was perfect. 
he just had this aura of sincerity about him that I thought nailed it. Now, just the tone of the movie in general, well, and that's okay, though, because I, I think a lot of that movie was was showing rather than telling, mm-hmm. which I think was was a very interesting and smart way to do it. And we didn't have to suffer through 30 to 40 minutes of waiting for him to do super stuff. Right? Yeah. He was doing super well. First of all, the opening of the movie was was crazy awesome. Yeah, but uh, you know he was doing super stuff just a few minutes after that. Like there was no waiting around. It wasn't your typical origin movie. And I think rather than taking the grimness and edginess of of the Nolan movies, if they could take the storytelling of Man of Steel and apply that to future movies, Mm -hmm. where they understand that an origin movie can be interesting and awesome. Yeah, and you don't have to tell it linear, linearly. Yes, yeah, like exactly. Backpacks, you know, yeah, you right. Get to right. the get, point. Get to it. Yeah, I would have liked. I felt. The, I felt like the movie was really gray. Like Krypton was super gray, and all the Kryptonian technology, and that's all. Almost all you see the entire movie is Kryptonian stuff. Yeah. Um. I. I didn't feel like there was enough color. Mm-hmm. In Superman, like I, I wanted more, even his costume color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just which wanted, I liked the costume, but yeah, it just yeah, it, it, adds to it, that it made feel. it made the movie feel like it just mm-hmm. sort of bled together a lot, sort of like when you watch a Transformers movie and you kind of can't tell what's going on. Um, it, it that was little visually, I it wasn't as. I don't know. It was I, just, I just gray, 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 gray. Like I think that was done somewhat in service of the 3D, which unfortunately 3D is killing a lot of creative decision making in movies. I would have also, and in Metropolis too. Like Metropolis still looks like New York. Like I want the city of tomorrow. I want. Metropolis. I want that. That Metropolis has a, a a personality to its architecture, and I still haven't gotten that. And I Although want it back. We might have because the you know, just, yeah, right. Metropolis isn't there that's anymore. Right. So we might have the Metropolis of tomorrow in Superman too. Right. Because I also think this would be a good spot to introduce Lex Luthor yes. and say, "Hey, you know, yeah. this is you know, we're scared of the big people." That was what I felt half the, half that's the what movie I was too. setting up Lex Luthor's Lex Luthor propaganda machine. Right. Yeah. He could so be the hero, guy that hero of the common man. So, yeah. To actually give him a legitimate leg to stand on for his hatred of Superman. Well, and how interesting will it be to have a Lex Luthor who's not a straight-up villain? Yeah. Who's, who's right? Yeah. You know? And yeah. you, you can't just look at the guy. And, and, I mean, honestly, they could build the whole movie on the fact that Luthor is right. And then at the very end, his his sinister, egotistical, evil side could come out. And it could turn out like, oh, gosh, he really is a jerk. But you could spend the whole yeah. movie thinking... Wow, he's he's looking out for us. Humanity, he's yeah. not wanna, such a bad guy. I, I want to go ahead and start Looks the campaign. My job. Yeah, I want to go ahead and start the campaign now that we have Clancy Brown actually play him. Oh my gosh, oh, that, would that would be, so be great. Awesome. You know, if we could convince Clancy to shave his head, I think we could. You know, oh um, wow, yeah, that would, that would be tremendous. I, I would actually. There's so many voice actors from Justice League that I would love to see. Um, I, I can't ever remember his name. Herbert West. Uh, from Reanimator, who did the question? Oh, um, uh, Jeffrey Combs. Uh, Jeffrey Combs. Thank you. I can't ever remember that actor's name. And I'll say right now, Jeffrey Combs. If I ever meet you in person and you've heard this podcast, you feel free to just smack me for not ever being able to remember your name because I love you. But man, uh, Jeffrey Combs as the question on Arrow was something that I, I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, and I think that'd be fantastic. I, I you've got a lot of potential is. there. Uh, well, he's, we've, a, he's a good actor too that knows how to work yes. with prosthetics because of all the stuff he did on Star Trek. Yeah, he's, he, he definitely could work his way around a, a 
you know, flesh mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we've got to come in to wrapping this thing up now. Um, overall, just in a few words, let's go through and each kind of give our overview of, of where DC's at right now as a whole uh, with, with the characters that they're responsible for, I guess. Uh, I'll start and say DC has some of the richest worlds, or I guess the richest universe in comics. Their characters don't necessarily resonate like Marvel's characters do, but as far as creating spectacle, I think DC really has the advantage. Uh, and, and honestly has a bigger stable of recognizable characters. Agreed. They can get it together, but they haven't yet. Uh, with this new 52. I think there's a lot of potential there, but I, I don't know that I see them tapping it. I've got a little bit more hope for the movie universe. I think Man of Steel is an excellent start. I think they need to be very careful and conservative, though, with what they do. I think Justice League right now is a bad idea. Uh, I think if they could just put out good movies about Flash and Wonder Woman and, you know, make, uh, start again with Green Lantern, just, uh, Get get Idris Elba to be John Stewart. You know, do something do something along those lines. Uh, let's then forget. They're going to make it how they 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 can't. Uh, yeah. Uh, then, the, but the, let's let's hope that they can get somewhere good with this stuff. And as as far as the toys and the animation, uh, we were going to talk about Beware the Batman, but we ran out of time. Uh, I watched it this morning. Don't know how to feel about it. We'll we'll cover that on a future Needless Things uh, when we've had some time to think and take in some episodes, but. DC overall, I, I love their universe, but I'm, I don't have a lot of faith that we're going to see amazing things from them anytime soon. Uh, Mr. Bo Brown. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that Warner Brothers is the biggest threat to DC Comics. <laughs> um, it's the one thing that's always going to hold them back. Um, you just have people in charge of comics who don't know anything about them, um, and that's a real shame. Uh, as far as the comics world, I, I pretty much agree. I'm, I'm going to catch up on my Flash issues and hope that it's good, but I, I see everybody's wearing pants and no sleeves. And <laughs> they put pants on He-Man. I just, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there you go. They put pants on He-Man. <laughs> uh, Jay? Uh for the comics, it's a kind of hit or miss for me. I'm actually reading probably less DC now than I was before the, the New 52. So it seems like it's more hit or miss with, you know, and it seems more editorial based than creator based. So I'm still probably follow, you know, creators or bounce around, but once they leave the book, you know, it's kind of like Green Lantern once Jeff Johns left. You know, that was a good stopping point for right, me. Right. Uh, same with Aquaman. You, you said it was pretty good, but I, I dropped it after he left. Um, for the movies, I did like um, uh, the, the Batman movies. I did like Man of Steel. I think they do have a shot as long as they keep Nolan and some of those guys around. Uh, you know, Green Lantern obviously they wasn't the best movie on paper. It sounded pretty good. It was going to be cosmic, had all the stuff, but then it just kind of it was do it four different movies. Yeah, exactly. if, they, if they had just stuck with the original Training Day plot, yeah, I, I think that would have been fantastic. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. But uh, so I think character-wise, like they have a whole universe. I always was a big fan of the. The crisis era with all the different uh, worlds. You know, you had the quality characters, you had the freedom fighters, you had you know the Shazam uh, folks with Captain Marvel and, uh, and that whole family. Um, so there, the I guess there's opportunities there. Uh, so hopefully, cross fingers, they do something good with it. 
Bobby. The comics, you know, like I said, there are some good ones out there. Uh, I, I definitely agree with what he just said too. That they seem so editorially driven. I think if I think if DC this when when DC stops pretending they're '90s Marvel, um, I think they will do better. Um, you know, because they are doing a lot of the decisions that led to Marvel's downfall in the '90s of the fancy covers and the you know the different things of the, that nature they're doing. Tell good stories. That's really all we want. We want to be entertained. I don't want to read a book and put it down and go, God, hopefully they'll get better next month. Yeah. yeah. I want to, I want, I want to be able to read a comic, lay it down, get on Facebook and go, Oh my God, you've got to read. I want to get on the podcast and go, Oh my God, you've got, and I'm, I'm not. There's nothing. so many habit comics. Right. There's nothing that's making me go, holy crap, did I just read that? Um, they're not there. I, I miss that. I mm-hmm. want, I want to be entertained. And, and I don't care if it's got a cardstock cover. I don't care if it's got a fold out poster that's hard as hell to read and, um, that's two pages of the book. I, I, I don't need that. Just tell me, give me 21, 22 pages of, kick-ass story, and I will be a happy camper. Um, and I'm not getting it. Every once in a while I get something and go, ooh, that was good. And then the next issue I go, what happened to the people that did the last one? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or um, things like that. You know, there are, I occasionally get surprised. Uh, most of the surprises I've had have not been DC, unfortunately. Um, but occasionally, you know, something good, so good will come along that will just really jump out at me. And I, I want that for DC, because I love these characters. Um, with the movies, I'm like you guys. I, I don't want to go straight from Man of Steel to Justice League. Give me a Man of Steel two. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of the complaints I'm getting are from people that don't want to see Clark learning. They want Superman as they've always known him. Right. And and, and but what what we're getting, we're getting these characters learning to become. The characters we know them, we got, and then quitting as soon as they have, right? <laughs> yes, and then we get the reboot where we get another young one right. that learns. Yeah. Um, hey, I was Batman for like six months, <laughs> three movies, F- yeah. fifteen months yeah. is, yeah. The, is the story. Uh, yeah. And and yeah, well, I you know as a as a reader too, I have problems with that. You know. They they totally like forgot the whole he's a detective plot part of uh, the yeah. character, and it was pretty much boiled down to anybody can be Batman if you've got money to right. buy all the equipment. Yeah, because the world's greatest martial artist. Let me tell you how impressive his fight was. Pretty great. <laughs> oh my god! I've got I spent all this money on all this awesome technology. I'm gonna throw some pop and snaps at you, and if those don't work, obviously none of the rest of this right. Stuff yeah. right. is um, useful at all. <laughs> so yeah, it's you know I want I want my Batman to be this. Smartest guy in the room. Right. That's right. Yeah. You know, the fighting stuff's all cool and all, but, but that's Batman. Batman's a strategist. I want to see, I want to see that guy. Yeah. I don't want to just see a, anybody can just throw punches. That's not just I wonder what if does. that mask is important. <laughs> probably not. I probably shouldn't investigate. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd certainly love to see more. Uh, yeah, them in the movies, not just DC, Marvel as well. I'd love to see them keep the damn masks on. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that would be nice. You know, because um, 
yeah, really, Iron Man three was not an Iron Man movie so much as it was a Tony Stark movie because, and yet it was still awesome. Yes, it was. I enjoyed it, uh, and the, even that was another one with a bunch of you know fans up in arms. The twist did not bother me. No, it was fine. Yeah, was I fun. did not have a problem with that. You know, I I prefer my Superman not to to kill people. Um, <laughs> you know what though? I I gotta say though is you know he gave Zod every chance. You know, he's like, I, and Zod was like, right before it happens, I was like, you know, I'm not going to stop. Right. I'll yeah. kill every one of these people. Well, and that's the thing is they and, created a situation where he had no other choice. And I think what's important about that is he is never going to kill again. Right. And I, that's my assumption. Right. We'll find out at some point. Because mm-hmm. I think that's the And it wasn't like lesson. it didn't affect him. Right. Like, it, right. right. You he was see, torn up about it. Right. Yeah. It would have been a completely different movie if he'd have snapped his neck and went, Suck on that, bitch. Right. You know? right exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, it was not an easy decision for him. And, you know, I'm sure they will deal with it. You know, he will, you know, I don't, I don't want to see him whine for three movies about it. Right. Yeah. But, right, it's, that's the thing that taught him, you know, I don't kill. Yeah. You know, and, you know, and something might has drive to, him to start trying to find better ways right. to, yeah, there's always to be way. more thoughtful about mm-hmm. Everything right, yeah. and you just have to take it as like these are not the characters that have been around for thirty years. This is this is them starting this year mm-hmm. one. Yeah. So, well, uh, Counterboy Greg, I think you have a little more hopeful outlook on at least the comics than than some of us do. I do, um, especially when you compare it to how the DC line was before the New Fifty Two started. I think back, and I, I can't think of hardly any of your big name character books that I cared to read at all short of the Green Lantern stuff um, you know I didn't care much for most of the Batman stuff other than like Batgirl was the one book that I was really enjoying you know I was really enjoying the Booster Gold books it's like all these secondary and tertiary characters were really the strength of that line um, and well like, those were the books editorial was leaving alone too. right mm-hmm. and um you know, and then then they did the reboot, and you know, I, I gave every single one of the fifty-two books a chance. Um, and for a while, most of them were actually keeping my interest. They've gradually dwindled down, and I'm not reading as many. But I am still reading more of them now than I was before the reboot. Huh. Interesting. Um, and uh, there are some of them that I had stopped reading, and I'm now reading again because they've changed creative teams. Like Green Arrow is a really good example. The first 16 issues of that book are terrible, mm-hmm. uh, but starting with 17 because Jeff Lemire took over. Uh, so yeah, a good writer, and I forget who the writer, or the artist on the book is off the top of my head, I, but he's I a did, really good artist. I did pick that one up too. Um, and it, that book has been one of the best of the New 52 ever since the creative change. Well, and you're speaking from an interesting standpoint because you can essentially pick up any of these books. Yes, many times. That's, that, that, that is you the advantage I you have. You don't have to choose with your dollars right. which books you read. Um, and if I did, it, I, I would it, I would probably still be reading most of the ones that I am reading, just grabbing them off the shelf if I had to buy them. Um, but what do you think the chances are if you dropped one, you'd ever go back to it? Uh, only with a creative change with a writer or artist that I particularly enjoyed following would right. I give it a chance again. What about the, uh, where, where do you think they're headed with the movies? The mo- well, I'm, I'm hopeful with Man of Steel that in it's setting. And say Warner Brothers is still involved, like y'all said. So I mean that's worrisome. But you know uh, what people are afraid of? Spiders. <laughs> Super needs to fight a spider. <laughs> no, no, it's going to be like you know there needs to be some giant monster. Yeah, yeah. I, I I would not be surprised if there's some kind of giant monster in the next Man of Steel movie. 
Although there already is a precedent for somebody to be in some big armor. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I, I like the Man of Steel. I like that it, it like you were saying, uh, with the uh, the Batman stuff not really being able to fit in a DC universe or even hardly the Batman stuff by itself. You know, the Superman movie, you, the door's wide open. Anything could happen. You know, Wonder Woman can show up in the next movie if she really wanted to. You know, anything could happen. And you would buy it. Um, so my, my uh, main concern Time Lords is, could be the Kryptonian Council of, of Important People. For example. <laughs> no. who, who, you know, they apparently took all their fashion tips from the Time Lords. Right. <laughs> so essentially what we've decided today is everything's kind of up in the air for DC. Uh, they certainly have a good base to create awesome things. Uh, whether they do or not remains to be seen. Uh, and I want to go ahead and thank uh, Jay Hornsby. Where can we find you online? Uh, belligerentmonkey.com. Mr. Bo Brown. Hey, I'm glad to be here. It's my first official job as co-host. Um, and uh, I can, thank you, and I can be found online at scifijanitors.com and on YouTube if you want to come see my geeky little puppet show. And also, if you are local to Atlanta, come see my live adult puppet slam, The Puckin' Puppet Show. Which is a lot of fun. We'll have, we're going to have a big show in October for Halloween, so it's going to be awesome. Very nice. How often do you mispronounce that? I don't ever mispronounce okay. it because it's my show, <laughs> but uh, lots of other people do all the time. <laughs> and uh, finally, award-winning Bobby Nash. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I love talking geeky stuff, as you, you, know, you may have noticed. Um, yeah, I know. I talk with my hands. Sorry. The fact that I haven't hit you yet is amazing. If, if next um, time we're doing video, just so you can see the Bobby Nash puppet show. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, if, I, if you made me sit on my hands, I would never speak. Um, so you can find me at bobbynash.com um, and, of course, at esopodcast.com. We, have, we do our weekly podcast there. This was, this was, this was fun. And, of course, we want to thank Odin's Cosmic Bookshelf, Odin's Comics, uh, which you can find on Facebook uh, as Odin's Comics. And uh, we've had a great time sitting here talking about nerd stuff. Uh, check me out at NeedlessThingsSite.com. And, of course, this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes or from Stitcher. Well, that was a good talk, and we had a whole lot of fun. Uh, not a lot of people showed up, but I wasn't expecting a whole lot of people. Uh, I wanted more for Bobby and Jay's benefit to have some folks out there so they could make a little cash than anything else because they had Jay had his whole uh, art display up, which you can see on NeedlessThingsSite.com uh, with the write-up for, for this one. Uh, Bobby had his books out there. and they, You know, they made a little money, but the main thing is we sat down and recorded and had, had a great time recording a podcast it was cool and i'll be doing it again august 17th uh, location yet to be determined just follow me on twitter or facebook or obviously needlessthingssite.com and remember you can download and listen to the podcast on itunes and on stitcher uh, and also keep an eye on the revcast page uh, where uh, uh, should be going up pretty soon a podcast I did with those guys about cartoons from the 80s. I talked about Masters of the Universe. We discussed Thundar. We discussed G.I. Joe. It's going to end up being two podcasts because we just couldn't shut up about them. So check that out as well, and we'll see you next time for some more Dork Talk. Uh, thanks for listening. I love you guys. Later.
Never listen to the round table? Here's what you're missing. I want an expose. The man was a <laughs> slut. It's just there's no other word for what Captain James T. Kirk was. James T. Whore. I'm sorry, but he's still my favorite captain. He died in an intergalactic venereal disease clinic. Okay? <laughs> Generations is Starfleet propaganda, Gary. Hey, anything that retcons it away from being the bridge is a step up. <laughs> He died from Romulan syphilis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Roundtable, brought to you by Revolution SF. Tough love for sci-fi. Available from RevolutionSF.com and iTunes. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. <laughs>